Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. It's day two of the World Cup and a very happy Michael Bridges is in to talk about England getting off to a winning start. We've got former Socceroo Tommy Orr as well as the USA draw with Wales and the Netherlands start by beating Senegal. We'll also hear from Mark Schwarzer in the countdown to Australia's kickoff and their match against France. I'm your host, Teo Pelizzeri. This is the Optus Sport Football Podcast. Let's get in to the Gegenpot. Day two of the World Cup, and we have Tommy Orr returning the former Socceroo to our Gegenpod panel, and also for the first time in the tournament, Michael Bridges, and he is going to be very excited about joining us today. So, Tommy, I'm going to welcome you first. Great to have you back, mate. Pleasure to be here again. Thank you. And Michael Bridges, I'm sure you've got plenty of pent-up emotion. How do we find you over in Blighty this morning here in Australia, or this evening for you? Well, it was a very, very cold, frosty morning over here in England this morning. First time we've had frost on the cars and on the ground. But I'll tell you what, it didn't take long to warm up when England started playing their football. I went to watch it um, with a load of fans in St. James's Park at Newcastle United's ground. And it was absolutely incredible. What a performance England put in. The the place was buzzing. The atmosphere was great inside. And the, thankfully, nobody started singing It's Coming Home because that <laughs> thing can go out the window this year. That is a jinx. I'm not going to do it. But it was just, uh, it was such a pleasure to watch. Um, and it it was more pleasurable. I thought it was a, a true professional performance from England uh, when you consider all the things that could have thrown them off the field with all the politics and things that have been going on and a lot of pressure on the England players to do something while they were over there. How many were at St. James's Park Bridge? Are we talking five, ten thousand? Like how many fans actually wanted to go and watch in a, a live space as a watch along? Well, because it was so cold, it wasn't actually in the ground itself open. It was in the, the bar at the back of the ground called Shearer's Bar. It holds a 1,000. We had about 500 in there. And, um, yeah, it was it was very, very entertaining. It felt like there was about 10,000 because of the atmosphere. And, yeah, just a, a great performance to see England. Um, could it, you know, you're not going to see many teams score six goals in this World Cup. Um, probably the best start that I've ever seen England do in a World Cup, and uh, it, it was just amazing to watch. And for those of you who are listening to the pod that haven't seen the score or the goals just yet, it was England 6, Iran 2, but that's with England leading 4-0 off the back of goals to Bellingham, Saka, Sterling, and then Saka again. Mehdi Taremi pegged one back in the 65th minute before Marcus Rashford and Jack Grealish made it 6-1, and then a stoppage time penalty for Mehdi Taremi to complete a double for him, but it was already a comprehensive England result. Tommy, before we hear a bit from Mark Schwarzer over in Qatar, what were your initial thoughts on England's massive 6-2 win? Yeah, obviously, Bridgie just touched on it, but I think, um, yeah, they obviously put to bed any kind of doubts that people had about them going into this tournament, and I think they've kind of firmed themselves up as one of the favourites. Obviously, it's a big call and it's still very early, but 
I think there was just so many pleasing aspects to that game. Um, not least, obviously, with having you know many different goal scorers and Harry Kane not being one of them. And I think you can almost put your life on him getting on the score sheet in this tournament. So, yeah, I think a lot, a lot of players will take a lot of confidence from that game. And, yeah, it was very impressive. So let's hear the thoughts of Mark Schwarzer over in Qatar. Well, England opened up their first game of the World Cup playing against Iran. And obviously it was a game where, for England, I don't think there was any way they could win in terms of appeasing the outside world, the media, the scrutiny. Uh, expectations were probably at an all-time low, uh, certainly of recent times for England teams coming to a World Cup. Their preparation hasn't been great. Uh, when you look at the Nations League, they were they were really poor, and uh, there were a lot of question marks asked about whether Gareth Southgate had the tactical ability to get this team and get the most out of this team at this World Cup. Look, playing against Iran, it was like I said, a no-win situation for England, but. They came through with flying colours. They were outstanding from start to finish. They blew Irana out of the water and they were brilliant. I thought Declan Rice, the combination between Declan Rice and Jude Bellingham was everything I thought it would be without actually having seen it being uh, happening and unfolding in front of us. And uh, that was always for me the big question mark. Could these two really form a formidable partnership? And we talked about Euros, Phillips and Rice, what a partnership these two formed. But this partnership between Bellingham and Rice is on another level. Jude Bellingham is on the verge of becoming the best midfielder player without any shadow of a doubt on the planet. He has got everything. He's got the the tactical nous, the tactical awareness. He's got the... Reading of the game, his positional play is exceptional. He has an engine which is phenomenal, and he can finish. He can score goals. He gets on the end of things, and he's only 19 years old. Together with Declan Rice, these guys, these two guys, and forget about look back in history over England. Certainly, even just over the last 10, 15 years. Gerard, Lampard, Butt, Scholes, and all these guys, right, who were phenomenal players. But they very, very rarely were able to put it on in an England shirt and create something special. Declan Rice and Jude Bellingham, how little they've played together and how well they actually combined was outstanding. And I'm really, really excited to see how that develops and how that flourishes. Jude Bellingham tonight was outstanding. As always, scores his first goal for England at an international level. What a header that it was. Um, England were sensational. They needed it to be. Um, and many will say it was only Iran and, of course, England going to win. But you've got to go out there and perform. You've got to do the right things at the right time and... You've got to be ready and you've got to be switched on because these are the sort of games that you can slip up on. And Gareth obviously gave the right message. He's got the right selection. I thought uh, Harry Maguire was exceptional uh, at, at uh, centre-half. And, and, and look, I've not been the biggest supporter of Harry Maguire because I think he's been highly overrated for, for such a long time. However, today I thought he was brilliant. And he proved a lot of critics wrong. He kept a lot of people quiet because of the performance he put in today. 
And I think all across the pitch, whenever you look at any player, I thought they were very, very, very good. And the only person, other than one, the only person I'm disappointed about, they scored six goals. Harry Kane did not score a single goal. Was hardly involved in the game today. And that really worries me because he's an exceptional forward and they seem to not have him really involved enough. And besides, I picked him for goal scorer of the tournament, so that I'm also quite annoyed about that. So anyway, um, brilliant. England, job done, first hurdle, but obviously they've got bigger challenges that lie ahead only even in this group stage because USA next game is going to be a far, far greater challenge than Iran would ever pose. And then after that, Wales, which, look, you could say man for man, Wales are nowhere near it good enough. However, it's Wales, the history, um, and that's going to pose a massive, massive challenge for England as well. But what we've seen today is that an England side that look ready, they look determined, look switched on. And the moment, after that first game, I'm really impressed. And it's first tick of the box, but not getting carried away with that performance. Um, will Jude Bellingham still be at Borussia Dortmund next season? No. Can't see it. I think it's actually almost impossible for a number of reasons. Firstly, he's too good. He's brilliant. He's 19 years old. The, the evolution of Jude Bellingham since he's been at Dortmund has been remarkable and... I think there's no chance he'll still be there at Dortmund come the end of the season. And also, on top of that, Dortmund are a selling club. They know. That's their model. They need to sell players uh, every season, um, sometimes every other season. But COVID has had a massive effect on a lot, a lot of clubs across the world, and Dortmund's no exception to that. So, yes, I think, without a shadow of a doubt, they will sell Jude Bellingham come the end of the season. Reluctantly but also in the sense of they're going to make a fortune out of him. So I think he'll definitely um, he'll definitely be gone come the end of the season. Um, but look, England tread cautiously. It's the perfect start, except it's only one game. They've got two more games in this group. They need to get the job done. And the way they perform today, they should come away with nine points in this group stage. They're easily good enough. It's whether or not they are focused enough and organised enough and determined enough to actually do it. But I think they can. Thanks, Mark. And great to hear from the Socceroos icon as part of the Gegen pod every day. So, Bridgie, Mark Schwartz is saying there that Jude Bellingham won't be at Dortmund this time next year. I mean, to do what he's done at a World Cup at his age, he's going to be potentially one of the breakout stars of the tournament, even though he's already very much a star in his own right now. How excited are you for what he can do? And then where do you think he will be going, given the price tag is only going north after games like today? Teo, you have hit the nail on the head. His price tag is going to go through the roof. His work rate, the goal he scored. I mean, I think Dortmund were already after $150 million. And there's not many teams can afford to do that. So there's only going to be a couple of clubs around the world that he will go to. And yeah, he, like I say, his price tag has gone up. And he, he is being probably England's, um, you know, I'd say most consistent player and actually outshone so many superstars like your captain, Harry Kane, 
The midfielder Declan Rice, that is valued so highly. Calvin Phillips going to Manchester City for fifty million in the summer. He's just absolutely phenomenal, and his performance today. I think just put him up against in the category of the elite players um, in in world football at that level. The you know the the other lad I really admire was the Spanish boy Pedri. I'm looking forward to seeing him. But this this guy, dude, who knows how much he is worth? Um, I'm just hoping he does come to a Premier League team because I'd love to watch him on a regular basis. And I think there's. But did, did Manchester City need him? No. Can they afford him? Yes. Would they want him? Yes. But don't underestimate Newcastle United's pulling power. There it is. I was going to say, when do we hear Newcastle in this conversation? (laughs) Tommy, thoughts on Bellingham as well? Yeah, I think that it's easy to forget that he's only 19. You know, the maturity that he plays with. um, I think that I don't really know any other 19-year-old in the world that can play and dictate such a game in the manner that he did this morning. But, I mean, yeah, I think you guys have touched on it. I think there's only one way his price tag is going. And I think, you know, you can see the likes of Real Madrid, Madrid, PSG and... Men City, I mean, they're probably the three clubs that I can see him ending up at. It's incredible. And I tell you, he'll be happy about this. Birmingham City with whatever percentage of the sell-on fee that they're going to get for him as well. So, uh, England, very exciting. But they limped into this tournament. Their form had been pretty poor. And now Gareth Southgate's got them off to a good start. Uh, Bridgie, do we put the two goals they conceded aside because they were so far in front? Or given some of the the criticisms of their defence coming into this tournament, is that still a little bit of a fly in the ointment after a 6-2 win rather than, say, holding a clean sheet? Yeah, I mean, the last goal, the penalty decision, I thought was absolutely disgusting because in the first couple of minutes of the game, Maguire and Stones both got manhandled by the um, Iran defenders and nothing was nothing was given. So for the last minute of the game, for this to happen, where there was a little tug on the shirt, they've now made the, the you know reasons for themselves for the rest of the tournament that there is any tugging of the shirts inside the penalty area and it goes to VR, we're going to see that. So you can, I think you can count that one out. But the goal... Um, that the first scored. I mean, uh, I forgot the guy's name now um, from Porto. Medi Taremi. 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 Thank you very much. Yeah, what a player, man. I mean, he's in the top ten in Europe's goals, like the goal scoring assist records um, for European football at this moment in time. So he was always going to be a threat. The movement was absolutely outstanding. How he lost Harry Maguire. However, he did have a little bit of concussion, Maguire, and he came off not long after that. But it just shows you that there was still a weakness and I was gutted for Maguire because all the speculation of should he start or not, Southgate kept faith in him, put him in. I thought he had a very good game, but he still showed that lack of understanding and awareness because Tarimi turned him inside out with his movement. It was a spectacular finish. So a massive worrying sign that Gareth Southgate did talk about in his press conference afterwards that we showed a little bit of switching off in moments and against the better teams, we can't afford to do that. Oh, I, I completely agree. And I think that the difficult thing for England will be, I don't know if their defence will get ultimately tested you know, to the level of some other groups because I don't think they've necessarily got the most difficult group. So they might be going into the knockout rounds you know, coming up against an attack that they haven't faced yet. And that that's the only question mark I have about, you know, England's credentials to go on and win the whole thing really is, you know, yeah. defensively, can they keep it tight at the back? Yeah. I mean, Tommy, on the flip side of that, in the in the front third, what, what admired me so much about England, defensively, yes, a little bit sceptical down that centre, but the full-backs... Luke Shaw was fantastic. Trippier showed absolute class yet again. He was physical. He, his performance was absolutely outstanding. The the front line, so being able to take off a Harry Kane and Callum Wilson coming on and getting an assist, Grealish getting a goal, Rashford scoring with his one of his first touches as well. Phil Foden, a player that I admire so much, 
in that front third, England at this moment in time are absolutely blessed with attacking players that can come on and change a game if you're losing and can come on and absolutely destroy teams like they've shown today with that extra um, firepower in the final th- in the front third. So that does not worry me, but the defence definitely does. Yeah, and there's also Kyle Walker still to come back in as well, which will obviously only yeah. add to that as well. So. Now, Mark Schwarzer in his comments there said, Gerard, Lampard, Butt and Scholes rarely put on an England shirt to create something special. I'm excited to see Bellingham and Rice flourish. Now, on the Gagan pod, every time England played and played poorly in the Nations League in the lead-up to this tournament, we criticised Gareth Southgate for playing his favourites, for having an England team that seemed to ignore club form and, and really Southgate wanted continuity from camp to camp and to stick with players that he could trust in an England shirt. Bridgie, is this in some ways a vindication of Gareth Southgate keeping a small circle and discarding some of that club form or would that be an overreaction going off one performance only? No, I, th- I think he's definitely discarded um, the the club form. He went against what he what he'd actually made a statement for, and what he stood, uh, you know, he stood by his statement, saying, "I will go off players that are playing and in form." Well, when you're taking Calvin Phillips that hasn't played all season, and um, being injured from Manchester City, and when you take Harry Maguire who's been under massive scrutiny, and certain players have missed out, the only one that really got on board, which I was delighted with, was Madison coming in into the um, the squad. So he's gone against his kind of values and beliefs of what he set out in the first first place and he has stuck and said to the players like Harry Maguire putting him out there today and giving him faith I think he he grew in confidence um, during that game apart from when he got the concussion and the, the players that he's shown faith in have come out and performed and said to the gaffer there you go that's for giving us the face so it's worked in his favour in this game however it's a, it's, it's a long tournament and it remains to be seen what happens let's talk about the concussion because Alireza Byronvand had to be subbed off after a head clash there was uh, double figure minutes of stoppage time in both halves and uh, he tried to play on the Iranian goalkeeper after the head clash, only lasted one phase of play before having to go. You think back to the 2014 World Cup final where we had a similar situation, uh, no thoughts of a, a rolling substitute or rolling interchange for concussion matters, questions of the independence of doctors coming up. Tommy, the World Cup is the biggest and worst stage for this to happen for FIFA. If it happens in the Premier League, if it happens in a Champions League game, it can be isolated to certain discussions in certain parts of the footballing world. But on the World Cup stage, everyone in every language now has this conversation. Does FIFA need to make a change? Could they even make it mid-tournament? I mean, I think that they've tried to make a change. If you look at the rules they've changed in terms of substitutions, um, you know, it doesn't count as a substitution to replace a concussed player, but... I mean, I think there needs to be more substantial steps taken. Um, but it's it's difficult, you know, because there's always a little bit of pressure to keep your best players on the pitch, also from the coaches and the te- technical staff as well. So I think that, you know, if, if they make it independent and somebody comes on and says you need to change this player, then that opens another can of worms in terms of, you know, is there going to be any bias or anything in, in terms of that? So it's a really difficult one to address. But I think that the one thing that is for sure is that they need to definitely come down harder because no one wants to see the images that we saw this morning. I I think that was an absolute disgrace actually. When I was watching it and the player down for that long in the replay showed how I mean how bad he actually was and I'm surprised the defender got on with it as well but you could it's the the player welfare for them the physiotherapy and the doctor to be on the field and allow that play after 10 or 15 minutes to carry on 
And after three or four minutes, I mean, I was even watching it with, like I say, with the fans. And I turned to one of the guys next to us. I said, give him five minutes. He will be either vomiting or he'll be coming off. So for me, that's got no medical background, but I've played the game and we've seen players that have had concussions before. I thought that was absolutely shocking on the, on the, on the whole medical side for, um, the Iran team. But like Tommy's just said, we don't know what pressure they are being put on to keep them players out there because he is a main figure. Um, that goalkeeper has been so influential in what they, what they have set out to do. Did either of you play through concussion? knowingly in your careers. You may have played through it not knowing. Yes. Did I, did, and Bridgie, I mean, in terms of what the expectations from the doctor, from the sideline, was everything done to keep you on the field, not to leave the game? There was no education and background given to us about what what it could do to you in later life. There was nothing like that. I mean, even even heading the ball, we'll learn about it now to this day. There's still a lot of um, universities studying it, and it's pleasing to see that you know under 12s and 13s in certain countries aren't allowed to head the ball. We would would I would I change my playing career known about heading the ball? No, definitely not, because I had an amazing career. I absolutely loved it. Even if we had some education behind it, but we we never did. I, I never did, Tommy, and about concussions. Now, if I had that education about concussion, definitely I would have been coming off and saying, "Yeah, I'm I'm done." But heading the ball, no, completely different, completely different argument and matter. But the concussion is a big thing that we were never given any awareness about from medical staff, from PFAs, from doctors or anything like that. So, um, yeah, I've, I've, I've played on a couple of times with concussion. Yeah, no, it was my uh, debut in the championship for Ipswich Town as well. I think it was in the first 10 minutes I got a concussion after a collision with the goalkeeper and actually finished the half. But I wasn't aware uh, now that oh, at the time I may have been, but, you know, in the aftermath I didn't remember playing. And... Um, yeah, I mean, those are the kind of things I would like to think that going forward that would get taken out of my hands um, and I would have been subbed off. I mean, Tommy, there's a few games I wish I'd never remembered when my career made because I had some absolute shockers. <laughs> but it wasn't it wasn't to do with concussion. It's just trying to erase it from the memory bank. <laughs> so pre-game, there was another big, big talking point. Harry Kane did not end up wearing the One Love armband after FIFA informed teams that they would be booked for wearing it. Uh, Alex Scott wore it pitch side for the BBC instead. Bridgie, this has been a huge talking point in England. Did Harry Kane do the right thing? I think Harry Kane did the right thing. Gareth Bale did the right thing. You, you in in my opinion, it's there there to win the World Cup. Now, if Harry Kane gets a yellow card for that, and Gareth Bale gets a yellow card, Wales don't win. And they make a challenge in the game like Gareth Bale did um, when he won the ball. He got a yellow card today. He would have been sent off. So is is that fair when you're trying to make a statement for a World Cup and you're going to lose your place and possibly put your country out? No, they've been putting a. They were willing to support it, but FIFA came up or the the World Game came up with another idea of how they could potentially stop them doing it. And Gareth Southgate said, "We will do as much as we can that is in our hands to help out, and and make a statement where we can, as long as it is not going to impact the players or the players' welfare or this club or this squad, because we're here to do a job and that is win the World Cup. And you've got to respect that. There's only so much we can do as players in the World Game." That can help others. There was, you know, there was there was big things over here in England today um, with a lot of uh, Iranian women on the te- television 
um, asking the English players if they scored a goal to do the cut the hair celebration. And there's been a lot of women protesting by cutting their hair, and you know they were asking the players to 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 try and help out with that. Um, so again, another another thing that they were you know they're trying to make a political statement um, for a team like England because it is so powerful. But the players must concentrate on winning the World Cup. And I think that's why I was so impressed with England, um, how they've managed to just stay focused. And you've got to credit Gareth Southgate and his team for staying as focused as they can on the job they've got to do at hand. There may be other things during this World Cup that we see them make a statement, but I think they did the right thing today because FIFA kind of took it away from them in a, in a, in a play that is going to affect you on the pitch. Yeah, I completely agree with Bridgie there. And I think there's been a lot of kind of maybe too much focus or too much pressure put on the players to, to make a stand, but to their own detriment. And I think there's a line there where, you know, the players have, they've done as much as they possibly can to make yeah. any difference they can. But as soon as you start affecting the football, that's a step too far. And the, the, I think the stand should have been made. Sorry, Tommy. I'm saying the stand should have been made well before the World Cup started. The stand should have been made by teams saying they're not going to take part in this World Cup. And journalists yeah. back in the day when it was doing, taken in Qatar wanted to say this is wrong. We totally can't have this. So that the statement it's too it's too far gone now to try and make a statement. It should have been done years ago. Yeah, yeah. And I think another interesting thing that happened in that game was the uh, Iranian team not singing the national anthem before the game, which was obviously um, you know in support of the protest back home, which was another. Yeah, I guess a political statement made in that game, which was interesting. And that could have huge repercussions for them for them players in that squad when they get home. Well, uh, Carlos Quiroz, the manager, told the fans that booed the national anthem, Iranian fans booing their own national anthem, to stay home if they don't support his team. So it seems as though the, the intra-squad conflict, in conflict with their own fans, in conflict with the nation they're representing, or at least the, the uh, government of the, of the nation they're representing... Um, it has perhaps started to manifest on the field. And this third game in the group against the United States is going to be a powder keg, isn't it, Tommy? Because, I mean, they've played England. They're playing another, you know, Western British team in Wales. And then they've got, you know, the arch enemy, um, at least uh, culturally, in the United States coming up in game three. Definitely. I think there'll be a lot of eyes on that game. But I think that, you know, it can go, it can go two ways. They can either bring them all together as a team and they can kind of have this siege mentality where, you know, that they're doing it for people at home or standing there then they go to a new level or it can have the effect that it did last night where maybe it was a distraction or something and they didn't play the way that we know they can. So for sure, it'll be interesting to see how they can bounce back in that third game. Now, anyone who watches the PL Fan Mail uh, segments on Optus Sport, you would have known about Finlay, a fan with cerebral palsy who asked Jack Grealish to do a certain goal celebration and the dance that he produced. It was England's sixth and final goal, and Tommy, it was a great moment that Jack Grealish did that uh, to bring awareness to Finlay and also to cerebral palsy sufferers. Yeah, absolutely, and I mean... um... Yeah, I guess for him to have the awareness to do it in that moment as well was fantastic. And I think that was maybe one of the benefits of being so far ahead in the game, you know. But I think that, of course, though these, you know, on a world stage like that, any kind of statement or difference you can make with people is amazing. And I'm sure that uh, that'll be remembered forever. You're listening to the Optus Sport Gegen Pod. We're daily during the World Cup. And after this short break, we will launch into the other group games and look ahead to the Socceroos. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices 
down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. You're listening to the Gagan Pod. We've got Premier League legend Michael Bridges and former Socceroos World Cup player Tommy Orr with you today. Let's quickly get through Netherlands 2, Senegal 0. Cody Gakpo scores the game-breaking goal in the 84th minute. Tommy, is he going to be in the Premier League in January? Is this going to be his uh, transfer window off the back of the World Cup where he makes the big jump? I mean, there's every chance. I think he was Dutch Footballer of the Year last year as well, and I think everybody in the Netherlands and now obviously around the world, sees what a talent he is. And I think he had a great impact on this game. It wasn't only the goal that he scored, but um, yeah, I think not only about him, but I think the Dutch will be a little bit nervous after that game, I must admit, because obviously they won. But I think Senegal actually had a lot going for them in that game and perhaps could consider themselves a little bit unlucky. So mixed feelings after that one. Yeah, and Theo, you've just said, is he going to make the big jump? Well, he certainly did make a big jump and he made a fantastic run. The timing of the run, the leap to beat Mendy as he came out to punch that ball. The Senegalese goalkeeper, he just got a beautiful glance and touch on it. He showed bravery, the timing of the run, the aerial presence. And yeah, he's like I say, it, it wasn't, it, it was a very stalemated game. Tactically, it was an, a fascinating game to watch. Um, some people that are after exciting football end to end, it, it wasn't like that. It was such a tactical battle, and the Dutch just found a way at the end there to break them down twice. And it was it, some, like I say, it was going to take something special and brave, and the, he, he did that. Davy Klassen with the second goal in that 2 0 win. The other game was USA 1, Wales 1. Timothy Weyer, the son of George Weyer, scored the opener for the USA. Gareth Bale with a penalty equalising for Wales. Neither team had a really wonderful chance to win it, but Wales really dominated the second half after the United States. It looked good without being incredible in the first half. Uh, Michael, were you surprised at how defensive Wales were in the first half, given that once they actually started to attack and chase the game, they drew some great saves out of the US and really had the pinned? Well, I was watching this game and I was listening to two legends of the game from Wales, Dean Saunders and a boy called Hartson who's played for West Ham. And it was very interesting listening to their comments because, you know, USA just came out and went absolutely crazy and pressed them like mad. And Wales were trying to play out from the back. Instead of trying, there's, there's, there's moments in games where you get pressed and you bring, you invite pressure. And sometimes you've just got to turn turn them and go a little bit longer with longer passes and try and break the lines. And Wales didn't do that. They didn't have somebody that could hold the ball up. Um, They didn't have a plan B in that first half and they got totally dominated and they were very lucky um, not to to be a couple behind. However, Page, the manager, he's seen it. He addressed it at halftime. We saw Kiefer Moore come on. They had somebody that could hold the ball up. Then they had runners off them and Gareth Bale obviously um, had a very quiet game. But when he's on the field, he's always got an opportunity. And if George Weir's son wasn't going to highlight and show up Gareth Bale, he was always going to have a say for the Red Dragons. And he stepped up and scored an absolute blinding penalty um, to get the equaliser. And I just thought it, it was a fantastic game. And Kiefer Moore, in the tactics of um, 
uh, of Wales completely change the game. And England, are go- England will be looking at that a little bit worried because they've got a plan B. Wales have got two ways that he can play now. I completely agree. And I think he touched on it. And Kiefer Moore, as a player that I've not come across too much, I think his influence on this game was incredible. And I think, as you mentioned, they were a completely different outfit when he was on the pitch. And yeah. I think, yeah, for, for me, I think he's got to start next game. You know, the, the way he can bring in the Bales, the Ramseys, these types of players into the game, that's what Wales couldn't do in the first half. They couldn't get their good players on the ball. So I think that for sure that's a good option for them to have going into the tournament. Now, Tommy, did you play with um, Ange Postacoglu? Yep, a few on a few different occasions I did. Yeah, so you know, that that kind of press that the Americans were doing early on, you you've seen that when you've when you've gone and worked with Ange, and I just I, I thought I thought the USA were absolutely superb first half. They, you know, the young enthusiast Tyler Adams, um, the captain, obviously he's playing for Leeds United. He he's he's absolutely brilliant. They they've got a lot of energy. And they've got it. They can go and do that press, and on the counter attack, they are lethal as well. I just felt the the inexperience of the squad on the big occasion, and the the tactical nous that Page showed that he could have a plan B. They didn't seem to be able to turn up. So the old cliche it was a game of two halves. But Tom, you, you you know you'll have appreciated the way the USA came out in that first half. Absolutely, and I think they're 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 so athletic as well. The US and uh, obviously they got so many fast players in the front third, which is obviously not only beneficial with the ball, but also as you mentioned with the press and I think that yeah the other teams in the group will be looking at that thinking that that's going to be a tricky game for sure now Gareth Bale gets his moment of scoring in a World Cup and it adds to his legacy that he's forged at club level with Real Madrid and Spurs and even winning the MLS but where does he rank among the greatest British players of all time we don't often put that lens on player discussions but I guess in a group where England are going to be playing Wales in the third group game Bridgie just how high up there is Gareth Bale He's got to be up there with the the best, um, and I'm talking. Obviously, George Best was was another fantastic player that never got the opportunity to showcase himself on the world stage. Um, you know, another another Welsh legend. But when you're talking about Gareth Bale in British players, when you're mixing them all in, I, I you know I love Gareth Bale because he played for Tottenham and scored wonder goals for us. He went to Real Madrid and won Champions Leagues with them. Obviously, the last few years we haven't seen enough of him. But if you think how he's handled himself. Um, the way he's been tracked at Real Madrid, but he can still produce and, and basically, you know, he's been so influential in the qualification for Wales to get to this World Cup. But speaking to people in and around Wales and the media and everybody that's played the game, it was rugby. Rugby was the national sport. All because of Gareth Bale now, the biggest participation is football, and it's all to do with Gareth Bale. Um, and yeah, he, he's he's up there, you know. He's I'm, I'm putting him up there. Gaza changed the World Cup in Italia 90 um, for England. Gareth Bale's done this for Wales on numerous occasions, but now he's done it at a World Cup. So he's got to be talked about up there with, with the greats of the game, without a shadow of a doubt. And Spurs man, he's, he's for me. Completely agree, and I think that it's not only about his record or the the you know the amazing goals that he scored, but it's also the big goals that he scored. And obviously, we saw one this morning. But you know, he's obviously scored maybe the best UEFA Champions League final goal of all time in that bicycle against Liverpool. You know, there was the run against Barcelona that he was famously burnt three or four pa- players for pace in the in the final of the Copa del Rey as well. So. He scores big goals and he comes up in the big moments and that's often what players are remembered for as well. So after one impression of these teams, who's going through? USA, Wales, or maybe even an Iran turnaround from here? We're all assuming England's going through, but who do you like for second? I've got Wales for me. 
I think, um, yeah, the way they bounce back in the second half and just their know-how and their experience, I think they'll see them through. I, I'm, I'm torn here because of the, uh, I was so impressed with the USA, the press. I've got a couple of players that are at Leeds United, Aronson and Tyler Adams. However, Wales with, with Gareth Bale, Aaron Ramsey, uh, I, I was just, I was so impressed. Now, I, I would like, I would honestly like to see, see them go through. I'm going to stick with you. Yes. I don't think Iran can do it. I think they'll get turned over in probably all three games and having zero points. Um, I'll go with Wales as well. Yeah, England first, Wales second. There you go. All right. In a word, there are three games before the Socceroos play at 6 a.m. on Wednesday morning. So in a word, uh, Argentina versus Saudi Arabia. Uh, Argentina draw or Saudis, who you got? Argentina, (laughs) of course. Messi, Messi hat trick. There you go. (laughs) Denmark versus Tunisia, the other game in Australia's group. Denmark for me. Denmark from me, free kick from Ericsson. Massive game in Group C that really could determine who ends up going through. Mexico versus Poland. Poland for me, Lewandowski to score. Right, this is where we're going to disagree because at international level, he never performs. And when he never performs, then don't go anywhere. Mexico, watch out for these. These are This is a team that are going to come out fire. And I think they'll be, they'll, they, this could be a, a good result for them. I'm, I'm going to take Mexico 2 or 3 nil here. Let's now hear from Mark Schwarzer with his thoughts on the Socceroos versus France game. Kamavinga, Kunate saying that they don't know Australia, they don't know anything about them, that's fine. Doesn't doesn't matter whatsoever. Will that upset Australia? No, not at all. We're always underdogs, and that's the way it is. So what? The point is, come tomorrow night, the aim will be of this Socceroos squad is to show these guys and to introduce them the, the Socceroos to them so that after the game they know actually very well who the Socceroos are. That aside, there's no doubt whatsoever that the France side, the squad, the technical department will do their homework, would have done their homework, and they will know that Australia will pose threats. And that they'll, they'll know also at standard situations, set plays, Harry Suter is going to be enemy number one, and that's without a set, doubt. Six foot seven, he is going to be a threat. He scored goals for Australia, he scores goals for Stoke, albeit not many of late because he's been away injured, but he is back to full fitness and raring to go. Uh, having spoken to uh, to Tony, Tony, what am I talking about? Having spoken to Graham Arnold today, um, he said that, you know, Aidan Rustic is fit, but he's on the bench, um, not quite ready to start, but Harry Suter is looking really good and he's very fit and really raring to go. He's in great shape. So... There's no doubt to me that we know uh, Aiden Rich should be on the bench, as that, as Graham Arnold said, but we also know that pretty certain, without without Graham Arnold saying that Harry said it will start, that he's going to start, because he said he's ready to start. So I don't think there's any chance whatsoever that he won't won't be in that starting 11. Um, so coming, you know, looking forward to the game against France, what will happen? Look, we know we're underdogs. We know we're up against it. We know we're against the world champions. France have had their issues with injuries. You know they've missed. Uh, they've lost a few players now in the build-up to the World Cup. We still know they've got incredible talent, amazing players, and there's no way in the world that the Socceroos can take them for granted. And oh, actually, I forgot. They've also got. They've also got Kylian Mbappe. He's not a bad player either. So, you know, there's no doubt whatsoever. 
to this Australian squad that they know what they're up against. But also, again, I refer back to what Graham Earl said today in his, in his uh, press conference. You know, there's 10 blue shirts against 10. He said yellow. I'm going to correct him and say they're gold shirts. Um, and uh, that's that's the uh, the challenge. And one would say on paper, those 10 blue shirts, shirts are far better than the, the, the 10 gold shirts. And yes, very difficult to disagree with. But that doesn't give you the goddamn right to winning games and expect to win games you have to go out there and perform and let's hope that France do underestimate us and don't really show up and therefore the Socceroos take full advantage of that. Um, The other news is Martin Boyle as we know is withdrawn from the squad is not in the squad for this World Cup however he is still involved very much within the the group and he's staying on and he's already changed his kit and he's involved as part of the coaching department, as you want to say, in inverted commas. Um, so he's there to add his support because he's such a big personality and the players absolutely love him and he's a very big part of the group. Um, so very much looking forward to seeing his involvement as we go further uh, along the tournament and, and how much of an influence he can possibly have on his teammates. There's no doubt whatsoever the soccerers will be missing him on the football pitch. Interesting challenges and decisions that need to be made for Graham Arnold. I think the back four are, certainly I believe, are are pretty much sorted out. And uh, Nathaniel Atkinson at right back, as is Bayer to the left back, Kai Rolls, centre-half, along with Harry Suter, for me, is a pretty much a given. Let's wait and see if that's actually the case, if I'm proven right. The big question marks for me are certainly in midfield, um, who's going to partner Aaron Moy next to him? Who's going to be in that sort of number 10 role? Um, now that Aiden Russell has been confirmed as being on the bench, will you know? Will that be a case of Riley McGree come in? Uh, can we Devlin maybe getting his start, which I would think, think it's less likely because it's a World Cup against the world champions. I would think that Graham Arnold will go more so for someone like Riley McGree, who's been in and around the Socceroos for for a while now and knows it all and has a bit of experience and and, uh, um, has done really, really well for Middlesbrough this season, even though a Middlesbrough side that's really underperformed. Um, I I wouldn't be surprised if he is starting alongside Aaron Moy, um, and I think that would be a a very, very, very uh, wise choice to do so because I think he would very much suit that position. Um, You know, up front, Mitchell Duke, whether it's Mitchell Duke or Jamie McLaren. Jamie McLaren obviously is in, in, in a rich vein of scoring goals, scoring eight goals in six games for you know Melbourne City leading up to this World Cup. Um, is he someone, though, that uh, can play that role now against France where we possibly won't have the ball very often? We need, we need an outlet. We need someone up front who's going to be able to hold the ball up and... It's probably most likely going to be someone like Mitchell Duke who's going to have the ability to hold the ball up. So I think it'll be Mitch Duke, Alan Mobile, and Matthew Leckie coming in in that sort of wide position. And I'm also pretty sure, like I said, Ryan McGree will come in instead of uh, uh, Aidan Rustic, and therefore there'll be a slight change in that formation. I think Jackson Irvine will push forward and be in the Aidan Rustic sort of position, that almost that number 10 role. And uh, uh, um, 
uh, McGree will then be next to next to uh, Aaron Moy and look to try and shore up that midfield because we know how how dangerous this France side will be. Thanks, Mark. And let's now hear from Tommy and Michael about the Socceroos. So, Kanate and Kamavinga have both said they can't identify any Australian players. Giroud saying they've done no homework on them. They really are playing right into Graham Arnold's hands with the nobody believes in us, nobody respects us, we're underdogs, we're unknown, we're out here to shock the world and prove a point. Tommy, do, do France just not care that they are playing right into Graham Arnold's hands here? I mean, I think that we're, we're, there's, potential, there's a potential that we're reading a little bit too much into it because, you know, they're, they're the reigning world champions. And I think from their perspective, they're probably thinking if we play our game and can play the way we know we're capable of, we, can, we, we back ourselves against anyone. So I'm sure that that's their mentality. Now, obviously, there's a lot you could read into it. Other, yeah, obviously, not being familiar with some of our players and our good players is, of, of course, a thing. But I think they will have studied the way we play and will not be completely surprised with you know the system we set up with and these types of things. So I'm sure they'll do a little bit of homework, but I think the emphasis for them will be on themselves. Uh, the players are just being arrogant here. They're, they're trying to they're trying to <laughs> give it one. Didier Deschamps is a leader and he's a winner, and he, they do their homework, no doubt about it. If you look, if you remember back to the first game in the other World Cup, um, Australia, was it 2-1 defeat and a dodgy decision to France? Yep. Remember the t- there was a thing when global after that game, and it was Deschamps doing a team talk to his players, and he had a go at Pogba. He had a go at Mbappe, and he says, look at the work rate of this opposition team. Look how many, how much distance they have covered more than us. And he dug a few players out, and it, were, it was almost the kickstart or the kick up the backside that the French needed, and Australia took it to them. So believe you me, they've done their homework in Australia. Um, he, he'll be working out. He'll be showing them their last matches, um, the players to watch out for. And the the distance and kilometers are covered, so they'll 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 be worried. They've got their own problems in house as well. Um, ben uh, Benzema struggling. Um, uh, Giroud had a little uh, knock training during the week. Uh, I think there's a couple of other players have, have pulled out the tournament as well. They've got the off the field shenanigans that have been going on um, with some political stuff in house. So I'm telling you, I think France are there for the taking if we can get in their faces. And I think Giroud just made a target on his back because I would love to see Harry Souter or um, one of the centre-halves, whoever it is, just go through him and and say, hello, now you know my name. Well, I know that uh, French duelist uh, Julien Laurent said that in each French player's hotel room, they actually have a channel which has all of Australia's recent games preloaded. So even the internal TVs in the players' rooms have the ability to watch the Socceroos. Maybe the players are just choosing not to. Uh, on the French team, uh, there's uh, the current uh, mooted lineup by Julian Laurent is Loris and then Pavard Canate, Upamecano, Lucas Hernandez, and then a midfield with Chouamini and Rabiot behind Dembele, Griezmann and Mbappe, and then Giroud as the centre forward. When it comes to the Australian lineup, Tommy, uh, we've lost Martin Boyle on the eve of the tournament. What are you now expecting? Is it yes or no for Harry Souter? Is it yes or no for Matt Leckie? Is it yes or no for Mitch Duke or Jason Cummings? Which ways are you leaning on the Socceroos 11? Yes, I think it's going to be very interesting. And I think, obviously, there you've mentioned a French back four, and they've obviously played with the back five a lot in recent history. So I think the, the dynamics, the dynamics of how the French side line up will also maybe dictate a little bit how the Socceroos will play. I think that 
Graham Arnold would have been working on a couple of different systems to use in this tournament. And yeah, I think that that might have some of a say in this lineup. But I think that there's no doubt Matt Leckie will be a beneficiary of Martin Boyle's um, obviously late withdrawal from the squad. And I, I expect him to start. And I, th- I mean, all the narrative coming from the camp as well has been how good Harry Sutar is looking and how fit he is. So I also expect him to, to be there at the start. Bridgie, anyone you want to see in particular for Australia take on France and take on the reigning world champion? I want to see the cum dog. I want to see him out there because he's. I was watching him on social media. He's had a fresh cut. He was uh, getting getting his hair cut for the big occasion. He's he's wanting to go out there, not only perform and show for the French how it's done in the field, but also to show them a bit of class with the haircuts. He looks a. He's just somebody you know. I I just he's somebody that I can I can resonate to. I, he plays with a smile on his face. Um, he, and he's just been absolutely outstanding since he's come. He's got his opportunity as well, and he's shown it. So I I'd really like to see him get out there. And, and Jackson Irvine, I think it's a it's a massive game for him. Um, defensive midfield, a player that I'm hoping can shine uh, and leave a, a few little um, stud marks on some of the some of the French boys. Yeah, I, I'm on the same page. Sorry. I think, um, yeah, with Cummins as well, I think, you know, he brings so much confidence to the players around him. And obviously there'll be, there'll be a lot of nervous players going into this game. And I think that, you know, he's infectious personality and he's so relaxed and, you know, makes people feel at ease. And I think that'll also be, could also be a good tool for them to use going into this game. And obviously from the footballing side of things as well, I think they'll we'll definitely need somebody who can hold the ball up, which he's more than capable of doing. So let's get some score predictions. I'll start with you, Bridgie. What do you think the score is going to be between Australia and France? My heart is saying go with the one-one draw. I think we can. I think we can. We can strike. Um, get, get something from a set play. I will say, and I think the French can be can be vulnerable. I I hope I am somewhere in the ballpark, and we just can nullify. Um, Mbappe is the only re- he's my only worry. They get they might just if they see Harry Suter that is in the starting lineup, they may try and target him, knowing he's he's just coming back, and you might see Mbappe just pulling on his shoulder all the time. But I'm going to say a one-one result. We can get a get a point out of this game. We've just got to look back how close it was last time in the World Cup. Yep, I'm on the same page. I think I think my heart says one-all would be an amazing result, and I think that there's no doubt we're capable of doing it. But I mean. A little bit, maybe a, bit, a little bit more cynical, but my head says that we'll come up just short and I can see us losing this game 1-0 or 2-1 as well. Well, those are the predictions of our experts here on the Gagan Pod. Don't forget we are daily during the World Cup. Uh, Michael Bridges, thank you for joining us. Hopefully the teams you do support can win on consecutive days, at least for the Socceroos' sake. But uh, enjoy the remaining hours of England's win uh, before you have to turn around and play again. I am just going to get the kettle on, have a cup of tea, and I'm going to enjoy the next couple of hours before it's a whole new day. And Tommy Orr, always a pleasure to catch up with you. Enjoy the Socceroos. We'll be talking again in the aftermath tomorrow. Looking forward to it. Yes, a big thanks to Michael Bridges and Tommy Orr and also Mark Schwarzer. Don't forget the Gegen Pod is daily during the World Cup, so rate us five stars and make sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts so that you don't miss a drop. If the World Cup isn't enough of a football fix for you, don't forget there are international friendlies going on on Optus Sport as well as the WSL, which continues through the World Cup, live and exclusive on Optus Sport platforms. I've been your host, Teo Pelizzeri. We'll speak to you tomorrow after the Socceroos have played France. Thanks for listening to the Optus Sport Football Podcast. This was the Gegenpod. Pod.